Hello, and welcome to this episode of Vogue Business's Beauty Radar, a no-nonsense podcast unpacking the most pressing beauty topics today, presented by City Commercial Bank. I'm your host, Katie Chitrakorn, and today we'll discuss scaling and taking investment. Beauty customers love discovering new brands, but ensuring long-term momentum can be a challenge as the business grows. There's a lot to consider, such as if and when to take funding, and growing in a way that still feels authentic and true to the brand. Who better to speak with than Glow Recipe, a skincare brand that has transcended KBT status to become a hot target for investors globally? Joining me today are co-founders Sarah Lee and Christine Chang. Hi both, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Great to have you. So your numbers as a brand are super impressive and it must be so exciting to see the brand kind of come to life over the last couple of years. But, you know, as we all know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. And the results that you're seeing today are really driven by the work that you've both put in over the last couple of years. So if you were to think about the decisions you've made that led to today's successes, you know, what would some of them be? Yeah, so I can start with one of the most important things for the brand, especially for beauty, um, which is that the positioning and product is key. You know, the way we identify the white space, I think, is where sort of we were able to reinforce our positioning. When we first started the company, we saw that a lot of the brands in the beauty space, especially in skincare, were bucketed in two different worlds. One was, you know, a little bit serious, intimidating, um, highly priced, but very clinically effective products. And then on the other side, there were products that were a little bit more playful, colorful, but not perceived as serious in terms of results. So we wanted to break the barrier and come up with a brand, which is what you see today, Glow Recipe Skincare, which is all about, you know, combining the best of two worlds. So essentially clinically efficacious, but also we wanted to make it fun and approachable. So we made all of the products with antioxidant rich fruits. So with fruits, there is that sense of familiarity, but also the fun factor. And then lastly, of course, we always want everything to lead up to glowing skin. So these are the three sort of phrases for our tagline, clinically effective, fruit forward, glowing skin. And that's our brand today. And we made every single product, I guess, a combination of powerful fruits with active ingredients that are time tested and proven and clinically um, approved as well. So all of the products are very serious, once again, in terms of results. I would say one thing to add to Sarah's points around product is yes, absolutely product is the core, but we also look at brand values beyond product. And what we mean by that is the philosophy around skincare for us is about really making it inclusive and accessible and approachable for all. So we do that through things like of course, the education, we're on content and social media, we're creating these scroll-stopping moments that are housing bite-sized education that makes skincare really fun for the customer. And then, of course, on the sensoriality side, whether it's the product texture, the product packaging, we're breaking down the skincare experience to be truly one of joy. And that joy drives consistency, which then drives results. But then outside a product, that approach around inclusivity for us also extends to real skin acceptance. And for the Glow Recipe community, I think over the years, as we built this very hyper-engaged community, they are very well aware that we want to make Glow Recipe a safe space for them. 
we haven't retouched model imagery in years. So all of the beautiful kind of campaign imagery that you see are model skin as is, whether they're having a breakout or whether they have skin texture, because we want that to truly reflect the diversity of our community and help people feel seen and be heard. But also we as a brand committed to no longer using words like flawless, poreless, perfection, ageless, and any of our packaging, our social media as well because we don't believe that these terms truly uphold real skin acceptance. And I think this transparent kind of approach over the years where we've shared these updates with our community, we've engaged and invited some of our creator partners to take part in this by creating a greater ecosystem around our values. We think that's also been really powerful and has helped build a group of people around the brand over the years that truly understand what the brand stands for and has kind of been with us every step of the way. I wonder if there was ever like really a turning point in the business where you realized that more people started to kind of know the Glow Recipe brand. I think there were several points and Sarah, please chime in. Uh, This has been an interesting journey for both of us and a wonderful one. I think the first moment has to be Shark Tank. So we were on Shark Tank just shy of being one year into our business. And it was such an incredible experience to not only pitch our business and think about our story and what we were adding to the beauty industry as a whole, but that mass awareness that you get from being on a national network show like that with virtually no marketing spend, it really catapulted our awareness. And that was so powerful for us because we were trying to educate around a skincare philosophy that hadn't really been talked about previously in the States. And it gave us an incredible platform to build on that education philosophy, but also interact with an even broader community. And then of course, on the order side, we just literally could not keep up with the orders and had to go down to our Brooklyn warehouse to hand pack orders with our team just to get things out in time. So quite a whirlwind, but one that was incredibly memorable for us. Yeah, I'll add to that. Shark Tank was obviously the biggest moment for us. And then the second turning point was when we um, had a casual lunch with the Sephora merchants. And uh, that was actually a huge game-changing moment for the business where they decided to take on the Glorisby brand, even though it was at a, at a very inception stage. Um, and it was it was quite a memorable moment for us because the formula that we were working for for many months in a, a white lab sample, lab jar, if you know what I mean, with no packaging at all. But we were so passionate and excited about this formula, which was, once again, the Watermelon Glow sleeping mask at that time that we were so just in love with because of the results that we were seeing, but also the sensoriality of the texture. It was just so beautiful, jelly-like, but also a smell divine, like watermelon. And at the same time, we had a um, on our iPad a concept slide that we were working on, and we were excited to share it with the merchant. And I remember the, the the chief merchant officer at the time. She looked at the formula and the slide, and she was immediately very excited. She said, "Guys, we have to launch this brand. We're gonna we're gonna make it big. It's gonna be huge in Sephora." And from then on, that everything changed. Our lives changed. <laughs> yeah, so and, and that was all in 2017. Like Sephora has been like a really um, great partner, I understand, for the brand since. But it's also, you know, the dream for many kind of early upstarts when it comes to 
beauty? Like, what, what was it that you feel that really convinced Sephora to take you on board? And I guess the second part of that question would be, um, you know, you started selling Grow Recipe via your own e-commerce site to begin with. Do you feel that digitally native um, brands eventually need that kind of wholesale partnership to scale? At first, we thought that they were very interested in our formula and the sensoriality and what it did to the skin and the concept of it. And that was part of it. But recently, um, we had an opportunity to speak with Artemis, who is now the president of Sephora US. And she was a chief merchant officer back then. She said that she was really impressed by the fact that we had a very clear vision even before we even had our packaging in place. Mm. Um, that was very clear in our mind. And I think that really, I guess, essentially sold the idea to, to the Sephora team and um, it got them really excited. So I think that's sort of what gave them conviction. From then, it was really a, a journey all around because After that meeting, we went back to um, Korea, which one of our first manufacturers were located in, and we started finessing and finalizing our formula and also creating our packaging designs. And we actually started to loop in the Sephora team from that very early stage. And they call themselves a brand incubator. And we truly, truly believe that that is who they are. Um, Sephora really knows how to grow and incubate a brand. And they can really help sort of nurture the brand in a way that works in their environment. And that's exactly what we needed. We were so young as a brand. We also didn't really understand all of the dynamics within the Sephora, very competitive environment. So to have their insight and also access to the data and, you know, the types of information we needed to, you know, help grow the business um, to where it is today It was because of the, the partnership that we had with Sephora. We have now, you know, once every semester, a meeting called In the Kitchen with Sephora. Um, and that's a commonly used phrase amongst the Sephora brands, actually, where Sephora team gets very deep in all of the ins and outs of the brand, um, especially with the, the, the product formulations and the positioning of each launch. And we really workshop uh, together to make sure that it really has a niche um, and also a point of difference in the space. And I think that's a winning strategy. What are some of the most valuable insights you feel like you get from retail partners like Sephora that you wouldn't be able to get on your own? Sephora has such an amazing insight into the landscape of beauty as a whole, macro trends, where they see the industry going. It gives us an incredible kind of conversation starter and thought starter for every single meeting that we have with them. They bring a lot of data to the table, a lot of conversation in terms of what's out there. And they push us to think even harder about how our brand can truly add differentiation and value to their customer, but to beauty customer as a whole. And I think it's been such an incredible partnership to Sarah's point where they have truly held hands with us, if you will, along the way from when we were a baby brand in their space to now, you know, a very fast growing skincare brand. And earlier you asked, do digitally native brands eventually need wholesale partnerships to scale? And it's such an interesting question, right? Because we've seen the sea change in the industry where brands that were previously D2C only moving to become more omni-channel 
And I think at the end of the day, being where your customer is, is so, so important. Like, yes, your DTC platform can serve as digital education, but whether it's social media or in stores that they're already shopping, being easily accessible to your customer is a huge step in growing awareness and engagement on top of all the benefits that a really strong retailer partner can give you. And a good example of this for us, and earlier you mentioned what some turning points for us were, I would include this actually in that, is when we moved from being in a little cubby to an end cap at Sephora, and then eventually a six-foot linear wall bay, um, which is one of their biggest spaces. And because as an immersive brand, being able to create this full brand expression in store, having a serum bar where all of our serums are offered along with education to the customer, like the amount of visibility and just you know revenue that this has driven for us has been an incredible example of how an omni-channel approach can really benefit and help support brands. With that in mind, how are you thinking about your retail distribution now um, as you grow, you know, as we enter kind of 2024? Um, what are the biggest considerations for you when you consider um, wholesale partners? Yeah, I think the most important aspect that we think about is, you know, who is the most impactful, but also sort of marketing driven, um, brand value driven retailer in each market. And um, so far, the partnership with Sephora has been phenomenal. So, you know, we are currently an exclusive brand um, in North America with Sephora. Currently, we are very excited to continue the partnership with them for the next couple of years and, you know, see how we can even break barriers in the skincare space together. We're also very excited to um, launch in new markets. So as we launched in France just a few weeks ago with Sephora, we're very excited to continue the rollout in Europe, which is going to happen in March of next year. We're also launching in a couple of new markets, um, such as Mexico and Brazil next year as well. So each year, you know, we want to make sure that we have a very strong partnership with each retailer that is the strongest in each market to have a full 360 support plan. So it's, it's a true launch, sustain and build strategy that we can implement. Oftentimes what happens is you would launch in a market with whichever retailer, it has a huge impact and then it sort of drops, right? Because it's harder to sustain a launch. And to us, that's a really important um, aspect when we once again make a decision. And there's a lot of brainstorms, um, workshop sessions, even before we sign contracts with each retailer in the market to make sure that there is a full sustained plan. And I think that is our, once again, I guess, success driver um, in making sure we have as much success as possible in each country. We're currently with Sephora in several other markets as well. So we're in Southeast Asia, Middle East, and then in Australia, we're with Mecca. Um, in the UK, we have Sephora UK partnership, but also Cult Beauty. So, I mean, these are the retailers in each market that we've identified are the most powerful and impactful. And also, once again, really understand the consumers in each market that we can really learn from them as well. And that's been a a really great um, strategy so far. A topic that I really want to touch on with you both as well is, you know, where money comes from, how you think about raising investment. In January 2021, um, the Glow Recipe received investment from North Castle Partners, which is a private 
equity firm focused on consumer and lifestyle investments. And there's been a lot of talk since about their recipe being a really attractive investment target and that it may be up for sale. If you could let some of our listeners know, come on, what led you to explore those conversations in the first place? We had some exploratory conversations last year and after the initial meetings, we made the decision that it wasn't the right time to begin any type of process given a lot of what was happening macroeconomically. And we wanted to focus on the business. That's always been our priority and it wound up being the best decision because business has been thankfully thriving. And for us, you know, when we initially took on that investment from Northcastle, it was also several years into our business. And it was much later than a lot of the other brands that we are on the shelf with next to, for example, at Sephora, we bootstrapped for quite a long time because for us, it's always been about finding the right partner if and what is best for the organization as a whole. And the core of our business being community, we need partners that truly understand that as a key component to our success. And that takes time, that takes conversations, that takes getting to know whoever you're having conversations with. And so we've never rushed these kind of processes. We've always kind of marched to our own drumbeat, if you will. And I think that will continue very much so. Also, Glow Recipe Skincare is now a little over six years, and we feel like we're just beginning the story. Like we're just scratching the surface with what Glow Recipe can do in terms of you know transforming our community's skincare journey. And we have a lot planned for the coming years. And we're very excited about everything. You talk about um, finding someone who's you know the right fit. You're, you're not in a rush. But I guess what is it that you look for in an investor? You know, how do you know that person is the right fit? And also, how do you know when it's the right time for the business? Christine and I started GlowRecipe.com back in 2014, and we each pulled $25,000 from our savings accounts, and that's how it started. I mean, it didn't really take any investment, even though we were on Shark Tank, there was no investment from you know outside of the 25K each until the end of year 2020. So the company was, you know, profitable, but we were bootstrapped with no debt, no outside capital for a pretty long time. I think we, by the time we got our first investment, we were probably the only brand um, of our sort of size within the beauty space that hadn't taken outside capital. And it's because we were looking um, for the right timing and the right strategic partner who believed in our vision, our brand values, and also understood how we wanted to take the brand to the next level. Um, We don't want to do it just because we want to grow it quickly and sell it in two years. We are very passionate about beauty. We have been in the beauty industry for a long time. This is our baby. And we want to grow it in a healthy, sustainable way for the brand to last a lifetime or beyond that. I mean, that's really our goal. Like we want this to last forever. And we really believe that the way to do it is to build it with the community, making sure that everyone really understands what the brand stands for. Mm not just from a product standpoint, but from core values. And I think that's what makes a brand last a long time. And for the strategic partner or any partner that we end up working with to understand that, I think is the number one key priority for us. Uh, We chose North Castle Partners because they understood that, um, our vision. And also they've seen us from when we were a tiny, tiny company. 
I mean, we didn't expect any investor to knock on our door at that time. And they did. And they, you know, kept in touch with us, kept the communication ongoing. And that was much appreciated also as founders, because I think they identified us um, and saw the potential in us when nobody else did. And then from then on, we would, you know, get out, you know, inbound inquiries from other companies. But we sort of, you know, held that sort of first like knock on the door that lasted a long time. It meant the world to us, obviously, but we also understood that they knew um, the partners that they wanted to work with. And they're very prominent in the wellness space. And we wanted to you know, work with them to also find synergy together uh, long term as well. And then, you know, down the road, hopefully we'll find another partner. Um, but again, we're not in a rush that will truly understand the core values and the long term vision that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else that I always felt was quite unique about Glow Recipe at the moment is that, you know, in addition to conceiving and launching the brand yourselves, you're also co-CEOs. And I think it's pretty normal to see brand founders eventually transition and hire an external CEO. You know, you see that with Emily Weiss at Glossier. You even see that more recently with um, Harry Styles' um, beauty brand Pleasing. But So I'm curious to hear your perspective as brand founders when do you feel it is the right time to appoint that external person, that CEO? Like, are, are these conversations that you've had yet? Is it something that may happen in the future? So first, the co-CEO structure for us has just been incredible. And I don't think we'd be where we are today without this co-leadership, if you will, between Sarah and myself. We've truly been able to grow and scale the business and overcome some challenges, the ups and downs, whether the ups and downs, because we've had each other as a sounding board, a partner, and it's been such a collaborative, amazing process. We also come from fairly extensive experience in the industry, and we're at L'Oreal before we started Glow Recipe, each for around a decade. And if we weren't doing this, I, I have no doubt we would have continued to grow our careers as brand builders in beauty because we both really enjoyed our time there. And that experience before starting Glow was also incredibly helpful. And this current experience that we're kind of going through together is a, very much an extension of that, just in a different environment and for a brand that we have so much heart and passion for. And all of that converging together has been just really, really great for us. I will say that down the road, as the brand continues to scale, as it's been doing quite rapidly, if the need arises, if that is the best decision for the brand, we would absolutely consider bringing on external expertise in whatever form that is. But of course, that would be a conversation that Sarah and I will have together and come to an agreement together as well. At what point might you think that need would arise? You know, it's a good question. I think it really depends because it's a lot of different skill sets that are needed from taking a brand from, let's say, zero to 100 and then 100 to 300 people, for example. And so far, we've really enjoyed this journey of scaling, building teams, building a culture around the company. But down the road, let's say we are in all global markets and the brand has become very large and needs certain expertise in certain regions or 
it needs you know a much larger executive team. I think those are things that we will be very open to having discussions around because our priority is always the brand. It's hard to pinpoint exact time, but we come together quite frequently just to discuss this and the future of Glow Recipe because we are both such passionate believers of what this brand can become. Absolutely, but I also feel like, in addition to the popularity that you've seen of your products, like supply chain issues, just globally, must have exacerbated the issue. Um, would you say that we're kind of past the worst of it now? Do you feel like it, it has it's pretty much normalized and you've managed to navigate it, or what is the situation like now? So the supply chain issues over the past few years have normalized to some degree, but I think what it has done is helped us as a brand to really think about. Where we're creating certain products, how we're approaching product development, which labs we partner with, which warehouses we partner with, so that we're continuing to be able to provide product for our customers and our community in a sustainable way. And it's actually been a good opportunity for us to kind of reevaluate all of our processes. This process was also done hand in hand with recently in 2022 when we became carbon neutral certified through climate neutral. We had to really examine this entire flow of supply chain globally, and in tandem with the conversations that we were already having about supply chain, I think that exercise really helped us understand our footprint as a brand and what we wanted to do to further reduce and act on some of our longer term goals around sustainability too. And finally, um, what would you say it takes to build a relevant beauty brand today? I know you you talked a lot about kind of like the values and the causes that you've aligned with, but what what else do you see that modern consumers kind of really want? So I think the beauty industry today wants to see real results on real skin, and you know this individualism and and the fact that everyone's skincare journey is uniquely different to each person. I think the entire industry is learning that skincare should not be this aspirational destination or, you know, some sort of untangible, you know, unreachable goal, but very much a personal journey that only you can experience. And so we want to speak to that and we want to hold hands with our community on that. I think the fact that we stopped using sort of words like poreless, flawless, ageless, anti-aging, or even perfect skin, the whole idea was to dismantle the unrealistic norm of traditional beauty. You know, even today, you see a lot of brands and products with the names that start with perfect or flawless. Um, and we want to sort of challenge that because we want to make sure that, you know, this younger generation that are so much into beauty now, especially because of the power of social media, don't feel that their skin is not normal, that, you know, they lose confidence because of that, or they feel insecure because they're not this retouched photoshopped visual that's aspirational that you see on the screen. And so that's why we shoot all of our campaign imagery or launch imagery with no makeup, um, never retouched any of them. And we want to make sure that our community sees them for what they are, like what real skin truly looks like in the real world. And all of this was the inspiration for our recent campaign, which Katie, you're aware of, our Do You Anonymous casting campaign, where we did a nationwide search to cast 10 models to star in a new uh, Do Drops campaign, which is our star product in the brand, completely anonymously. 
we called it, you know, jokingly, love is blind in beauty, um, where we really did not see any anyone's photos or sort of, we even actually um, had people uh, cover their names and we were because sometimes the names can lead to their backgrounds and we didn't want any bias along the process so this is a great example of how we were able to celebrate you know the different diverse forms of beauty and journeys uh, skin journeys and we believe that everyone should be able to see themselves in uh, a major beauty campaign and we wanted to really make everyone feel that this was a dream come true. So it was actually the the most invested in terms of our you know marketing budget campaign to date because we were able to actually secure spots in Times Square Billboard, and it was a true out of home campaign with you know New York Metro even stations and subway like the trains themselves were all over. We were on double decker buses in Miami and Chicago, and. Um, even billboards in London and Toronto. So just like major cities, you could not miss these faces um, from the DU campaign. And that was the goal. And so we want to continue um, to really move forward with real representation. And we want the whole industry and the community to join us in challenging the idea of what traditional beauty standards really are. And this is what we want to continue also next year as well. So stay tuned for a, a new version of this Do You campaign um, that we're going to kick off next year. We're very excited. Fantastic. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Sarah and Christine, it's been so great to chat and I really look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you for having us. Thank you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, you might like to become a Vogue business member. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% on the usual membership rate. This has been Vogue Business's Beauty Radar Podcast, presented by City Commercial Bank. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.